Hello, my name is Kim Moody. Uh, me and my husband and six children have been here at Abana's Hope uh, since May of 2016. And I help here in Life Beads Ministry with um, all of these wonderful women. My name is Amun Pamela. I lead the Life Beat ladies. I help them, I direct them in things to be done, and as well as training them. And Life Beat has changed very many lives. It has given job opportunities to the ladies in this community, and also has also brought them into light, that is, knowing Christ, because we have devotions with them, we share with them, and there is also biblical counseling with the ladies because of their different circumstances. So each piece of jewelry is um, handcrafted and made by these ladies. You can find and read their stories by the, their names and their faces. Their pictures are on the website and uh, their stories are amazing and you can read more about where they've come from and, and now some of, of what they're doing here at Bama's Hope and, and what God has brought them through. A lot of the women that have come to Life Beads, either they worked in their gardens or they didn't have a job at all or some of them are, have come out of the refuge center and so they are now training but they uh, now have a, a job that provides for them daily and so they are not just wishing or hoping that they might be able to provide for their family. Now they have something that provides for them daily. So most of them didn't have any work to do apart from their personal digging at home to feed their families. But when, when the ministry came in and Life Beat was introduced, many were, many were brought in to work for the life beads and through that they now have they can raise to take care of their families pay their children at school even cater for the sick in the hospital which is so good so we thank God so much for bringing the ministry here and for his work that he has because it's God's grace not man's work but through his grace that's why he has brought the ministry to this community. One of the uh, great joys of my life over the last four years has been able to be involved with the ministry of Four Corners Ministries in northern Uganda. And uh, one of the uh, endeavors that we do as a ministry is uh, employ around 40 ladies that are involved in making what we call life beads. And that was the video that you saw there, some of those ladies that take magazines and newspapers and different items that we bring over from the States and uh, cut those up and make those into some of the most beautiful jewelry that you'll ever see. Um, our missions team, I'm, I'm very honored uh, that our missions team this year had spoken with me in the process of us coming here about the possibility of supporting Four Corners Ministries and how to do that in the future. There seems to be a lot of eagerness there about the work that the Lord is doing in uh, northern Uganda and South Sudan. 
And so if last month when we were talking about some of the ways that we could support them, I talked to them about having a Life Bee party where uh, we have a couple of our ladies that, are, that volunteer with our ministry. And they come in and help set up a life bead station, life beads party, and they display some of the necklaces and earrings and bracelets and Christmas ornaments and bowls and all these items that these ladies make in Uganda and uh, give you an opportunity to be able to browse those and to purchase those. And uh, the missions team wanted to do that in conjunction with our Thanksgiving meal this year. And so uh, we're, I'm very pleased to be able to tell you that uh, we will have a, a dual purpose in our Thanksgiving meal this year on November the 18th as we gather together as a church family, not only to celebrate God's blessings and, and, and to be able to eat together as a church family, but also give you the opportunity to hear a little bit more about the LifeBeat story and to be able to browse in the LifeBeat store and purchase some items there that night. Uh, you don't have to wait till then. If you want to go and look and see what kind of items there are, you can go to the uh, website, uh, fourcorners.org, F-O-R, F-O-U-R, corners.org and uh, look at the Life Beads store and you can browse some of those items, get a little bit of an idea of what is available there and even purchase those online. Uh, men, if you're asking yourself, does my wife want a Life Beads necklace for Christmas this year? The answer to that is yes, she does. <laughs> Trust me, yes, she does. And uh, so I hope you'll take advantage of coming that night. We need your help with the Thanksgiving meal by letting us know that you're planning on coming so that we can make proper preparations for that. And so uh, we need you to let us know this week, if at all possible, your intentions to be here on the evening of November the 18th so that we make sure that we have enough food and also to be a part of uh, the Life Beads store that night and be able to browse there. If you've got a copy of God's Word, I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning. As we begin our harvest series uh, for the next three weeks leading up to our harvest offering on November the 11th. As you're turning there, I want to say a couple of items of business uh, to, to, to us as a church. Number one, we have a church family that has a personal need right now, uh, the McNutt family. Many of you know Adam and Leslie McNutt, and Leslie is pregnant. She is having some complications in her pregnancy, and she has been put on bed rest right now. And uh, Adam has requested if there's people from the church that can assist Leslie this week. Adam is going to have to be out of town, and so we are in need of some people that can go by to help her with the children uh, for a few hours every day. Uh, we are also trying to coordinate some meals uh, to be able to take to them. And so if you could help us out with that, if you could coordinate a meal with us, please see me, um, and I'll try to get you connected in how to do that. Or if you could potentially go by for a few hours and just help watch the kids, give Leslie a break, that would be awesome. I uh, feel like uh, that in a church of 250 people, we have some people that would have the opportunity and the availability to be able to do that. Um, I've come to the conviction in the church that when it comes time to minister to the church body, we don't minister out of convenience, we minister out of conviction. And uh, if we wait until there's a convenient time for us to be able to meet the needs of one another in the church, then oftentimes we never will. Uh, but if you feel convicted by the Lord to be able to volunteer a couple of hours to give Leslie a break, especially in the afternoons, uh, after school time basically, if you could help out for a few hours, I'd appreciate that. You can see me afterwards if you would. 
I also want to say a word of welcome this morning to a very special guest of mine that are here with us today. Uh, my father-in-law and mother-in-law, Dr. Scotty and Miss Kathy Hogan are over here. Scotty, if you just wave your hand so people can see you. Scotty is not a stranger in the city of Decatur. Many of you know him. He has been uh, the pastor of Westmead Baptist Church for the last 19 years and uh, faithfully serving the Lord for over 40 years, 42 years, I believe it is, isn't it, Scotty? Uh, 42 years serving the Lord, preaching the gospel. Uh, I'm grateful to Scotty for many, many things. First of all, he gave me a job uh, when I was a youth minister and interviewed with them in 1996. Uh, he was part of the church that called me there to be their minister of youth at Westwood Baptist Church in Alabaster. And so he took a chance on me and gave me a job, and then he gave me his daughter, which is even better. Uh, when I, I remember being scared to death about three weeks in to the job uh, when I was very infatuated with his daughter and said, would it be okay with you if I asked her out? And he said, absolutely. And the rest is history. So uh, he is not only a faithful pastor and servant of God, but he's also a, a great father-in-law uh, and a good friend to me and uh, been a great mentor of mine in life. And so I appreciate you being here, Scotty. Um, Scotty retired a couple of weeks ago from, uh, from Westmead, and we have rewarded him by giving him two weeks' worth of work in our house that he has been having to do. <laughs> and uh, so uh, he's done more work in the last two weeks than I think he did in the last two months leading up to his retirement. So we're glad to have you in here, Scotty and Kathy. All right. As I said, today we're going to start our Harvest Offering series, and I want to begin today by reading a text from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, actually beginning in chapter 3 with the last verse of chapter 3, verse 18. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is he's talking to the church in Corinth about the gospel and about the glory of the gospel, and he does so by introducing them to the, the glory of the covenant of Moses, when Moses would, would go to meet with God to receive the law, meeting with God, the glory of God would, would, would attach itself to Moses, especially to Moses' face, so that he would come down and give people the words of God. But that glory would linger, and, and as it would linger, Moses would put a veil over his face to keep from being a distraction to the people. And, and, and Paul is talking to them about the glory of the law and then he's talking to them about the greater glory that is revealed within the gospel and the new covenant of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 18, he, he continues this vein by saying, And we all now, as covenant redeemed people in Christ, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, that is the image of the Lord, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. 
For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. As I said, this week we are beginning our church's yearly harvest offering missions emphasis. And for the next several weeks we will be looking at this theme that missions is for the glory of God to all peoples. You'll see that on the front of your worship guide today. Over the course of the next week, you will be receiving some items in the mail in which you will also see this theme and this verse from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 and verses 6, as we talk about how missions is about the glory of God to all peoples. Ultimately, as the redeemed people of God, our aim as the church is to spread the glory of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. As disciples, we received these missional marching orders from the lips of our Lord, Savior, and Redeemer in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, most commonly known as the Great Commission. Now, you probably remember that moment in Matthew chapter 28, but let's think about what happened just prior to the disciples receiving the Great Commission from Jesus. The disciples had just witnessed some of the most amazing moments in human history. They had spent three years walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, watching as He brought sight to the blind, as He touched the lepers, as He healed the lame, and as He raised people from the dead. They'd heard Jesus teach with power and authority about the coming kingdom of God and its inauguration and fulfillment in Him. They had watched as this previously unknown Jewish carpenter from Galilee had suddenly amassed large crowds numbering in the tens of thousands. And they watched with awe as he confronted the religious hypocrites of his day. That week before, they had gone to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. As they did, they watched Jesus ride into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. And they watched while hundreds of people lined the streets with palm branches and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. The disciples themselves had come to personally believe that Jesus was the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah who had been promised to be sent to deliver His people. And so on Sunday, that Palm Sunday, things were as good as they had ever been. But quickly, the events began to turn. Jesus went into the temple and He drove out the money changers and the merchants who were exploiting God's people for personal gain and blocking the Gentiles' view of God. The disciples began to hear rumors around town that the Pharisees were very disgruntled with Jesus. There were whispers going through the temple about a possible arrest for blasphemy. They watched that Thursday evening as Jesus led the Passover with a somberness. And He told them that, that He wouldn't eat again of the Passover with them until the kingdom had been fulfilled. As they sat there with their Master that night, they sensed a heaviness in Him that they had not seen before. They went with Him to the Garden of Gethsemane where they watched Him pray in agony to the Father. And they even eventually fell asleep from their own physical and emotional exhaustion. There in the Garden of Gethsemane, they watched as the temple guard came to arrest Jesus. They listened as the unjust court of the Sanhedrin cried out that this Jesus was a blasphemer. They witnessed Pilate have Jesus scourged and then wash His hands 
of the situation, sending Jesus away to be crucified. They watched as their friend and master was nailed to a cross, a broken and bleeding mess. And they watched him breathe his last. And in shock and in grief, they hastily took him down from the cross and placed him in a borrowed tomb because it was the beginning of the Sabbath and they didn't have time to make preparations. And then they went back to their, to their gathering place to grieve the death of their friend. And they waited there for two nights. And then on the third day, some ladies decided to go to the tomb to prepare his body properly for burial. And they discovered that the tomb was empty. And they rushed back to tell the disciples the tomb is empty and the body isn't there. And then suddenly Christ started appearing everywhere to his disciples. In the upper room, on the road to Emmaus, and dozens of other places. The one who was once dead was now alive. And the grief that they had experienced had been turned to joy. And within their, their ranks they began to wonder what could possibly be next. Jesus tells them to go to the Mount of Olives. And there in the Mount of Olives on that mountaintop in Matthew chapter 28, he speaks these empowering and familiar words when he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, under that authority, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. With those words, Jesus Christ empowered and commissioned his disciples to forever be missional agents of the gospel. He commanded those followers and all of us who follow after them to be disciples who make disciples of all nations. The word nations does not mean countries. It means people groups. It means the groups of people that God has placed on this planet. And it means that you and I are called from where we are as agents of gospel transformation, to take the gospel to every person on this planet. Simply put, Jesus has commissioned those who have been changed by the message of the gospel to be disciple-making disciples whose primary purpose as a church is to advance the good news of Jesus Christ to every corner of this planet. Missions and disciple-making is the work of the church. It's the central work of the church. It is the central reason for our existence. Churches don't exist to simply be gathering places for religious people. Missions isn't just a program of the church. It's not just a program of many programs we offer. And missions is not simply a line item in the budget or a task that is reserved for the pastor and a few passionate church members. Missions is the purpose of the church from which every program flows. And missions is the responsibility and task of every church member. We must remember that in Matthew chapter 28, our Lord and Savior and Master gave us a great commission and not a great suggestion. 
And so in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about missions, and we're going to talk about our calling as Central Park Baptist Church and what God has called us to do. Today, we want to talk about why missions exist. We want to talk about missions and the glory of God. I want to read for you these words from John Piper's first chapter in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, The Supremacy of God in Missions, one of the best missions books there is out there. John Piper says this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. But missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. And when this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It is the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. The goal of mission is the gladness of the peoples in the greatness of God. Missions is for the glory of God to all peoples. And so I want to begin talking to you about what missions is And I want to personally ask you to prayerfully consider as a member of this church about making a generous and sacrificial gift to the Great Commission endeavors of Central Park Baptist Church. To start, we need to understand this central truth, which is missions is about extending the glory of God to all peoples. That's what we read there in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Missions is about giving all that we are to give everyone a chance to see the glory of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, I want to tell you four truths about missions and the gospel and the glory of God this morning. And the first of those truths is this. Paul tells us that true spiritual transformation only comes from beholding the glory of God. True spiritual transformation, true spiritual change, true salvation and redemption only comes from beholding the glory of God. Look again at what he says in chapter 3, verse 18. We, the redeemed, with unveiled face, beholding what? The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Jesus says, because of the finished work of Christ on the cross, the veil which once covered the glory of God has now been removed. And that when we see God's glory, we see God's glory most fully displayed in the death of His Son on behalf of weary sinners. We talk about the gospel a lot, and we can define the gospel in many ways, but Simply put, the gospel is defined this way, Jesus Christ in my place. That's the gospel. Jesus Christ in my place. Jesus went to the cross to bear my sin and my shame and my death sentence in my place so that I could be changed, saved, and forgiven. That's the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And now Paul says that same glory in verse 18 is doing what? It is 
transforming us. As we, the people of God, continually fix our eyes and our gaze on the cross of Jesus Christ, as we continue to look to Jesus Christ on the cross, crucified on our behalf, the gospel not only saves us, but it changes us, it transforms us. This is why Paul would say in a few verses later in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away and the new has come. Simply put, if you've come to believe the gospel and if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've been changed, you've been transformed, you are a different person. And if you're not changed because of your religious encounter with Jesus, then you don't know the gospel and you haven't experienced Jesus Christ. See, what we need to understand as a church is this. People are not changed by getting new and better religious habits. You've probably tried that before, haven't you? I'll just start going to church more. I'll, I'll start reading my Bible more. I'll, I'll, I'll start changing the way I do some things. But people are not changed by getting new and better religious ha- habits. People are not changed by heaping guilt on them that they need to improve themselves. You don't change people when you, when you find someone who's living apart from Jesus Christ and living in sin. You don't change them by going to them and saying, now you know better than that. You were raised better than that. You don't change them by heaping guilt upon them. You change them by turning their eyes from their love of their sin to beholding the glory of God in Jesus Christ. People are not changed because they show up at church and start to get religious. I've been in ministry for over 30 years and I can tell you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who got a guilt trip one day for something that they did and they showed up at church and they started getting religious and they started doing all the right things and six months later you never saw them again. Because people don't change by showing up at church and getting religious. People are only changed by beholding the glory of God in Jesus Christ. It's entirely possible for a lost sinner to show up at church, meet people, change some bad habits, get connected to a small group, show up each week to worship, volunteer to serve, and do all sorts of good religious stuff and still be as lost as the first day they came in the door. As a matter of fact, that might describe some of you sitting here today. And the reason for that is because you never beheld the glory of God. You just added empty religious works to a dead spiritual resume. People are changed when they see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. You see, our hearts were sovereignly wired by God to seek glory. Our hearts are wired by Him to want to to have wonder and awe and worship and glory in something. And so every moment of your life, your heart is seeking something bigger than you that you can give glory to. Something bigger than you that you can worship. Something bigger than you that you can give your adoration and your devotion and your all to. And so some people seek glory that can only be found in an intimate relationship with another person. And that's where they try to find glory. It's the reason why we go to epic movies and concerts. Because we want to be awed and and seek glory. It's why we go to sporting events because we want to share in the glory of the victory of our team. It's because there's an internal mechanism within us that is wired by God to seek glory. But each and every moment that we describe are simply lesser glories 
of what takes place in our hearts that we were ultimately created for, and that is the glory of God. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Romans 11.36 says, For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. The glory of God is the purpose for which you and I were created. You were created and made by God and given His image in order to give glory to Him. And listen carefully, you will never be whole and complete the way God intended for you until you behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ. And until you do, all the other glories that you spend your life seeking will never satisfy and will only leave you hungering for more glory because your heart was designed to seek glory in Him. And true spiritual transformation only comes from beholding the glory of God. That's what transforms us, according to Paul. But there's a problem. And the problem is that in our natural humanity, we cannot behold the glory of God because our sin blinds us to His glory. Which brings us to the second point, and that is that everyone suffers from a natural spiritual blindness towards God's glory. Everyone. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of what? The glory of God. And that everyone has a natural blindness towards God's glory. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4. If our gospel is veiled, in other words, if it's hidden, if people can't see the gospel, it is veiled to those who are perishing, those who are lost, those who are dying without Christ. In, this, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Have you ever wondered why people do the things that they do? You ever wonder why a maniac walks into a Jewish temple and shoots up a bunch of people? You ever wonder why another maniac puts pipe bombs in the mail and sends them to people just because he disagrees with them politically? Because we live in a world in which the God of this world, our adversary, the devil, has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot see the glory of God. Our hearts were made to behold glory. And Romans 1 gives us good news in Romans 1, 19-20 when it tells us that everybody can see the glory of God because God has made that available. Romans chapter 1 says what can be known about God is plain to everyone because God has shown it to them. God has displayed His glory. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that everyone is without excuse. The evidence of God's glory is everywhere. The problem is that Romans 1 says that you and I have exchanged the glory of God like a bad Christmas present from our crazy aunt. It says, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God, nor give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinkings, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You see, our hearts were created to seek God's glory, and internally we understand that true spiritual transformation comes 
from beholding the glory of God. So why do you and I take God's glory and exchange it for lesser things, as according to Romans chapter 1? It's because while God has made his glory available to everyone, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 tells us that everyone is born into this world with a natural spiritual blindness towards the glory of God. We are born with a sin nature. And that nature rejects God's love and God's authority over us. As sinners, we want things that center on the glory of us, not on the glory of anything else. We want to be the center of the story, and we want things to glorify us, and we don't want to be sharing our glory with someone else. Now, what does this have to do with missions? Well, it has everything to do with missions because the reason, as John Piper said, that missions exist is because worship and glory do not exist. And the reason why you and I are called as the redeemed people of God to give our lives for the mission of God is because the world in which you and I live is a world of spiritual darkness in which people cannot naturally see God. I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to imagine for a moment that someone you know or someone you love was born blind. From the moment of their birth, they have lived in a world of personal darkness. They've never been able to see the beauty of a sunrise. They've never been able to actually view the ocean. They've never been able to see the smile of a newborn cradled in his mother's arms. All of their life, they have sensed these things around them, but they've never been able to experience it through sight. Or suppose for a moment that someone you loved had contracted a deadly disease that was 100% fatal all the time. Everyone who had ever contracted this disease eventually died from its effects on their body. Imagine for a moment, someone you love, born blind or with a tragic disease that kills everyone 100% of the time. Now suppose for a moment that I handed you a cure for that loved one's blindness or disease. Suppose for a moment you told me about their story and I told you, I have good news for you. I know something that will completely change their circumstances. And in an instant, they can be changed from complete darkness to sight. In an instant, they can be changed from a dead man walking to a whole new life. And if I told you that good news, if I told you that I had the cure for your loved one's disease, what would you do? What would you do? If you loved that person, you would do anything within your power to make sure that they heard and applied that good news. I promise you, if, you, if I could tell you the cure for your loved one's blindness, you would not say, I really hope someday somebody goes to them and tells them that good news. Maybe if I just live a really good life in front of them, they will start to think that I have good news and, and that will start to change them. I don't really want to offend them by pointing out their, spiritual, their, their physical blindness, so I'll just try to be a really good person who lives a really good religious life and, and maybe through that spiritual osmosis, somehow or another, they'll understand and they'll get that good news. No, you would do everything possible to move heaven and earth to give them the good news of healing. And maybe the reason why many of us in the church never share the gospel with another person, never go on a mission trip, 
and spend the vast majority of our money on our own selfish personal pursuits rather than on the kingdom of God is because we've forgotten what it's like to once be spiritually blind. We've forgotten the good news is good news and we've forgotten the desperate condition of sinful people. Which brings us to the third truth and that is this, that salvation will come when people see the glory of God in the gospel of Christ Jesus. Salvation will come to those who are suffering from the natural spiritual blindness towards God's glory. Salvation will come when people see the glory of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 6 says, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says, That the very same God who spoke light into existence when the entire universe was covered in darkness has shown the light of the knowledge of the glory of God through the person and work of Jesus Christ. If true spiritual transformation comes when you and I behold the glory of God, and if people in this world are born with a natural spiritual blindness which causes them to exchange the glory of God for lesser glories, and if the glory of God is most perfectly revealed by the death of Christ on the cross, then you and I as this church must come to the conviction that salvation will only come to people when we show them the glory of God through the person and work of Jesus. Romans chapter 3 tells us the bad news that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but don't leave out the good news in verse 24 that says, and they are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The bad news is that we live in a world of spiritual darkness. The good news is that God has the antidote in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.27 says that God has chosen to make known His glory among those who are without Christ through us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so if we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we'll, we, we will be saved. That's the good news. If we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation will come. And if as a church we declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can take assurance that some will get saved. And so if we are not seeing people being saved in the church, it's because as the church we are not pointing them to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul says, the one who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we need to point people to Jesus because salvation will come when people see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the fourth and final point that we exist for missions and disciple-making, and that God calls us as a gospel-transformed people to be agents of gospel proclamation. If salvation will come when people see the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, then God calls us as gospel-transformed people to be agents of gospel proclamation. This is the reason why we exist. Missions and disciple-making. Missions and disciple-making are not a program of the church. They are the program of the church. And everything we do as a church must have a missional and disciple-making purpose. We cannot sit by and be content 
to be a spiritual community people for those who are already saved. Have you ever heard the story of the life-saving station? I've shared this before. I'm not sure if you've ever heard this before. I love this illustration. Let me read it for you. It says, On a dangerous seacoast where shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat, But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea with no thought for themselves, and they went out day and night tirelessly searching for those who were lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and to give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. And so new boats were bought and new crews were trained, And the little life-saving station began to grow. Eventually, some members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge of those who were saved from the sea. And so they replaced the emergency cots with beds and they put better furniture in the enlarged building. And now the life-saving station began to become a popular gathering place for its members. And so they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely. And they began to use it as sort of a club. In doing so, fewer members were now interested in going out to sea on life-saving missions. And so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work for them. The life-saving motif still prevailed within the club's decorations... And they even placed a miniature lifeboat in the room where the club's initiations were held. About this time, a large ship ship had wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, and half-drowned people. They were dirty and sick, and some of them had black skin, and some of them had yellow skin. And suddenly, the beautiful new club was in chaos. And so the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club, where victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the membership of the club. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities since they were unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were actually called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that if they wanted to save the lives of all various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, they could begin their own life-saving station down the coast, which they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that had occurred in the old. It evolved into a club, and yet another life-saving station was founded. And history continued to repeat itself. And if you visit that seacoast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown. I don't know if that story is true or not, but it's terrifying to me. To think how easy it is as the place that God has commissioned to be the agent of gospel transformation for us to forget that we don't exist for ourselves, we exist for the glory of God to all peoples. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, what we proclaim is not ourselves. You do not proclaim Central Park Baptist Church in the glory of Central Park Baptist Church. 
But we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as servants for your sake. In other words, Paul says that God calls you and me as gospel-transformed people to be agents of gospel proclamation. Missions and disciple-making is the central purpose of the church, and missions and disciple-making is the central purpose of your life as a Christian. The question is, what are you doing about it? If the gospel is the cure for the spiritual blindness of our world, then you and I are the conduits of that cure, and for that reason, we must proclaim the gospel with everything we have, including our lives and resources. And that is why... We are having a harvest offering. Because as a church, we have a missional vision for this church that involves taking the gospel across the street and around the world. And we have initiatives that we want to begin locally, initiatives that we have already partnership with domestically and more that we want to do, and initiatives that we want to do around the world. And so our response to the gospel is simply this. That we will pray boldly, we will give generously, and we will go gladly so that all people have a chance to see Jesus. In light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, I believe God calls us as His redeemed people to pray boldly, to pray fervently, to give generously and sacrificially, And to go gladly so that every person that needs to see Jesus has a chance to do it. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to ask you to pray about how God wants you to be a part of our harvest offering. I've only been here a couple of months, but it brings me great joy as pastor when I went into the finance committee meeting the other day. And they told me that that what was pledged in 2017 for 2018 has already been received and surpassed over 10%, I believe. Is that right, Steve? That's a testament to the generosity of Central Park Baptist Church. But I believe we can do more. I believe God's called us to do more. So over the next few days, you will receive a letter and some information about this year's campaign and some directions about what we want you to do. Ultimately, we pray And we give and we go because we have a Savior who came and gave of Himself to give us the gospel. And we give sacrificially because we have a Savior who sacrificed Himself on our behalf. So maybe this morning you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe this morning you've never truly seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You just showed up at church one day and somebody said, hey, we're glad you're here and why don't you sit right here and here's where you go to Sunday school and you just got used to being a part of the club. You got used to showing up at the meetings. You got used to doing all the things that you were requested to do. And you started to feel really good about it because some of the things that you were doing felt really good to to give of the church and to be a part of a community like this. But the reality of it is, is that you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You never had a time where you've truly repented of your sin and trusted Jesus Christ by faith. You never had a time when you bowed your head and bowed your knee and said, Jesus Christ, I I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. And I confess to you that I am a sinner. And I stand in desperate need of your grace and mercy. So by faith, I'm going to 
surrender my heart and life to you. I want to be a new creature. I want to be a new creation. I want to be changed from what I am into what you want me to be. Just a moment, we're going to sing a song of invitation. We're going to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ if, if that's what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do today. Maybe today you sense that God's moving in your heart and calling you to do something, but you don't really know what to do and you're not ready to walk down in front of a group of people, that's fine. We'll be glad to talk with you privately. You can come get me after church and say, Pastor Matt, I need to talk and I'll be glad to take you and explain to you what Jesus Christ has done for you and how you can trust Him to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe you need today to respond in some other way. Maybe you need to respond because as a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ, it's been a long time since you actually focused your heart and mind on beholding the glory of Jesus Christ. And maybe even as someone who's been redeemed by Christ, you've been surrendering your heart to lesser glories that do not satisfy. And you just need to come today and renew that relationship with Him. Whatever it is, you respond as the Lord Jesus leads you. Would you pray with me for a second? Father in heaven, we thank You that You have made known Your glory most beautifully in the face of Jesus Christ. And so now, Father, I pray as we Sometimes sing that you will help us to turn our eyes on Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, so that the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so, Father, I pray that you would do that today and that you would waken dead hearts and bring new life into them. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, sing this song, and respond as the Lord would have you to today?